Um, bear with us as we're getting used to some of the new stuff that we're doing here and trying to make sure we're uh, recording and getting everything going for today. So today we are going to start on a series of sermons. I just you know, decided in my week while I was studying and preparing that we're going to start and have a theme to all of our lessons, and that theme is heart trouble. Now, I will preface that by saying, I picked this theme way earlier in the week, and so when I called Miss Billy yesterday to talk to her, I told her, I was like, you know, tomorrow we're starting a sermon series on heart trouble, and this was never my intention to do so with the given circumstances, but it just so happened that um, Mr. John went in the hospital with heart trouble. And I think we can all relate, you know, to physical ailments like that, ailments where you have heart trouble, especially people like in my family, we have heart disease, and uh, specifically my stepdad had a quadruple bypass surgery a couple years ago, and that's a, a pretty big deal. And when we think about health and physicality, it's usually easier for us to remember, you know, you go to the dentist, hopefully every like six months, you go to the doctor for your checkups. And physical health is very important to us. But a lot of times I feel it's harder for us to remember about our spiritual health. And while Jesus will talk about, you know, trees and bearing fruit, and while those are signs of a bad spiritual health, a lot of times we can conceal our health and how we do and what we do because we have this heart trouble. So we're going to start today in Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to go throughout the Old and New Testaments in our study of this theme and look at the fundamental part of Christianity, which is the heart, and why it takes work and attention for us to continue at it. And so today we're going to look at, in this passage, the Israelite people and what God is telling them through Moses. And this is a people, as we will see in some of our other studies, they struggled with this very aspect, as we will struggle with it in our lives as well. But in this passage, we're going to look at the fact that they are told to listen to God's words, to practice them, and then lastly, that they are going to be told to remember the words of God and remember what he has done for us. And hopefully through this study, we will see that we need to do those same things as the Israelites did. So we're going to start with listening. And maybe that word puts shutters down most of you guys' minds. When you hear the word listen, you're like, oh, I'm not that good at it. And maybe some of the, the women are like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're not good at it. I'm told that many times by my fiancé. Ben, you're not listening to me. You're like, no, I'm listening. And then maybe I'll say a couple things that she's told me. But listening is an important skill for life and for relationships, but also for our relationship with God, right? We cannot complete a task that is asked of us unless we first listen to it. I'm sure many of us have been in a situation where you accomplish something and come to find out you actually heard the instructions wrong. So you did it in the way you weren't supposed to do it. And so then you have now, first of all, done the task wrong, but it's because you misheard it. It doesn't matter what you think you heard, you did the task wrong. So as we start to look at this text, we must understand that before we do anything, we must first listen. So starting in verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God and your son, you and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you 
all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So the first thing you hear <clears throat> is that there are two goals. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, I got something in my throat. There are two goals of teaching here for the Israelites. And it's one, that they are told to do what God tells them. And second, is that they are told to fear God. This is the summing up of what is to be done. And I love how Ecclesiastes echoes this statement here. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, you see then that the writer says that the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Now, it took the writer of Ecclesiastes, sadly, all of these vain pursuits for him to come to the realization to be, you know, this is what the whole duty of man is. And funnily enough, the writer already had these words written down in Deuteronomy prior, and he could have looked at them. But it shows even with the hundreds of years difference between Ecclesiastes and Deuteronomy that we too can take many things from these goals set here. Thank you. We have many goals in our lives. You know, a lot of times we like to start these you know, goals at the beginning of the year, you know, New Year's resolutions, and many times they fail. And sometimes we have smaller goals, whether maybe it's, for me, it's just cooking for a day. If I can do that, that's a, that's a goal for me. We have things that are small and great that allow us to you know, accomplish things. But underneath everything that we do in our lives, these two goals need to be present, that we do what God says, and that we then fear him. In one way or another, we need to be taking in God's word, whether it's reading or listening to it. Wonderfully, one of the things about technology is we don't have to just sit and read. Now, it is very enjoyable to do those things, but you can do it in a very various other manners in order to take in God's word. But sadly, I think today... More than ever, we see people that aren't fearing God. They instead are choosing to accept social norms that God is against, and they are interpreting Scripture and bending it in a way they shouldn't. And while we have to deal with those things, we must remember who we are to listen to and what the goals in our life are, and it's to do what God says and to fear God, because that's what matters. The next we have is what this encompasses for them, and how long it's supposed to be. So the Israelites are told to live and do these things for the rest of their days. And I don't want to refer to this, to Christianity and the lifestyle and serving God as a sentence, a life sentence, because I think that's negative, and it really diminishes the many joys and blessings that we have in this life. But what Christianity is supposed to be is an endeavor for whatever remains of your life when you choose to do it. And it's not that the person who's 60 and who's been a Christian 20 years is any more faithful than the person who's 70 and who's been a Christian 5 years. What matters is what you do with the time you have left on this earth when you choose to serve God. And to do so is to listen to what he says. And in that time, you make a decision. And hopefully that decision, you count the cost. You understand that while... It's not a life sentence. Christianity comes with some things. It comes with sacrifice, hardships, and persecution that you're going to receive. 
But those are greatly outweighed, as I said, by the benefits and the great blessings that God has for us. But also, when we look at what Christ did for us, the struggles and the pain that he bore greatly outweigh whatever we will have to go through in this life in order to be with him again. And thus, we will dedicate our lives to him because it is what God asks of us. But continuing on in verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to them, that it may go well with you, and you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I first want to talk here in this passage about the success. And the Israelites are told that if they are careful to follow what God says, and they follow God's commandments, that they will be blessed. And now I'm calling this success because of what I feel success was in that time. In the ancient world, you know, not having a sickness or not having to deal with problems, that it may go well with you, having lots of offsprings, and then living in a land that is profitable to live on seems about just the best you could do at that time in the ancient world. There doesn't seem much more you could have as a successful life living then in that society. And for us today, there are different things. I feel like a lot of people today have looked at God and the gospel more as for prosperity and whether it's praying for physical successes and physical things and riches and help and those kind of avenues. And they miss the point. The point of God isn't to pray for you to win a football game or to get good grades in school. And while God may bless you with gifts of athleticism or gifts and knowledge, you can use them. Success, that is not the success that we are looking for. Instead, we have blessings in this life. You know, the blessing of getting to be with one another and the hope of heaven is one of the biggest things we think of as you think of what the Israelites are looking for, this land beyond that they are promised, the land that we are promised is heaven. But that the success for the Christian should always be looking at living your life and going to heaven. That is true success. Nothing else comes close to it. When I was in high school and I did um, marching band and those kind of things, we did compete against other people, but our band director ingrained in us one thing, that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing around you, whether they're winning or whether we're losing. The important thing is that you do better, and that's all. Because the more that we focus on ourselves, the more we focus on doing better as a person, and our personal successes of living for God, then we'll be getting there in the long run. We will have the blessings that we have and be able to do that. We don't have to worry about looking at the world and see all these people who are making lots of money, who have nicer things than we do, and yet they live sinful lives. Because again, that's not what matters. What matters is that we keep our goals and we strive for God. But the second part in this passage is to learn about God. We get one of the most amazing statements about who God is and the nature of the Lord God, Yahweh. The perplexing nature of God is an understatement. It has been hard for you know, any person to think about, you know, how do we have this God who's one, but then is three, because God chose to reveal, a, reveal himself to us in three different persons. But we serve a, in love a being that is far greater and far more above than we are. 
And I long await the day in heaven when I get to go there and I get to be in God's presence because of these statements, because of knowing how amazing and awesome our God is that we cannot really comprehend what it will be like. But I feel it is such an extreme honor for us as humans to be able to see these passages like here in Deuteronomy and Exodus 3 and others where God makes self-statement, self-proclamations of who he is in his very nature. Because we're getting a perspective of God that we can't really fathom. And it helps us understand who exactly are we listening to. We're not just listening to some random person or to some idea that was made up thousands of years ago. We're listening to the one who is and who was and who, was, who will always be. And from the start in Genesis to the end of Revelation, one of the unique parts about God's word is how each individual book has its own story, its own thing that it talks about. And yet many of us, when we think about the Bible, we think of it pushing towards Jesus and his crucifixion on the cross. And while the Bible is set up to show God's redemptive plan for man, in each and every part of these small passages and these stories, we get to see different parts of who God is and his very nature. And as you start from Genesis and you end in Revelation, you have this amazing picture and you get to fill more in the dots of who God is and really what is God and what he means to us and why we should listen to him. God's ultimate will is the part of his will that will always be accomplished. Regardless of what we do, God's will will be done. But we as people have an opportunity to participate in part of God's will. We can enact with it and go with it and have the opportunities in life that we have when God opens those doors to take them. But if we don't take them, God's will is still going to be done because he is that much bigger and greater than us. That it does not matter what we do, but we should be honored to feel that we get to listen to God's word and to participate in the will of the one almighty. And throughout study of his word and time, I hope and pray that we grow to see and love more of how amazing this book is and why it was such a great sacrifice for God to give his son. And that with that, we should have no problem putting ourselves aside and listening to what God has to say to us. And with that, we get to the second part of what God is telling the Israelites, and that is that they need to practice. Practice is something I think we have all heard. Maybe you've heard it in practice makes perfect, or practice what you preach, and you might look at me for that one, since I am the preacher. But you can hear those things in various things in life, whether it's talking about sports, and you got to, you know, practice makes perfect, or maybe a parent says something they shouldn't, and the child then retorts to them, you better practice what you preach, you know, because the parent is back at them, and we, maybe that doesn't end well for the kid. But you might ask, well, why are we using this word practice? And well, I think it better involves what doing God's word is. When I think of the word doing, I think of a one moment in time, right? If I'm asked to take out the trash and I take it out and I'm asked, Ben, did you take out the trash? I say, I've done it. But I play an instrument and if I'm asked, Ben, did you practice your instrument? Well, practicing takes a continual act, right? Practicing is a continual thing, a continual doing of an action. And even more so, practice 
talks about more about the habit of a person. And James, also, James writes that we are not to only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. So continuing now in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I want to first talk about the all that is discussed here. And this is part of our title, because our title in this sermon is questioning of, are you giving your all? Is how are you living under the theme of heart trouble, giving your all? And in parts, when I look at some of this and what was talked about some and when Jesus talks about this is many times when I look at these texts, I also like to think of not part but whole. You know, the whole of your heart. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with your whole strength. Not part but the entire thing. And I think of devotion, and full devotion for humans, I think is one of the hardest things to ever ask of a human. Not only just because of our human nature and who we are, but the many responsibilities we have. You start stacking things up like jobs, friends, if you have kids, grandkids, other relationships, coming to church and doing those different activities or responsibilities that you have. Your plate starts filling up and you start looking at other people like, what am I supposed to do with all the stuff that I have? And that's a good question. Now, obviously, I can't tell you about some of those things because I haven't experienced that. But I know that if you think of a game, if you, think, if you want to succeed in that pressure point in time, if you need to make the game-winning shot or make the game-winning pass, you have to practice that before. You just can't walk out on a field and expect to succeed without having practiced. And we cannot walk into life and expect ourselves to give our all if we haven't been practicing it before. But one thing about habits, when you think about that is, as we know, there are good habits and there's bad ones, right? And sadly, I think social distancing has given many of us bad habits in various parts of our lives. It doesn't have to be just spiritual. Just in, in all parts of our lives, this time of being away from each other has given us bad habits. So what kind of habits do we want as a congregation moving forward? What kind of habits do we want serving God and for the future? But how are we going to individually make sure we are getting around those bad habits and pushing towards getting closer to God? Because this command that God says here, love, it encompasses all of who we are. That's what this statement means. It takes all of you to do this. And if we put all of ourselves into listening and practicing because of what Christ gave for us, we will be putting our hearts in the right spot. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, that, we are, that God left or Jesus left the glories of heaven, he came down in the form of a bondservant to be humiliated and to die a cruel death on the cross. That's what he gave up for us. And we are never asked to give more than God and Christ have given, which is their all. But second in this passage, talking about our hearts. And I often think when, as was mentioned, when we think about love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, as is added in the New Testament, and with all your strength. Many times, what's the next thing you think of? Probably love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's what Jesus tacks on there when he talks about it. But oftentimes, I feel like we neglect what's here in Deuteronomy 6.6. It's that the words of God are supposed to be on our hearts. Not only are we to love God, but that is such a high proposition to have if you think about where God's word is supposed to be. It's not just supposed that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to do certain things for him, but his word is supposed to be on our hearts. It is not enough to merely just listen. But doing what God says and having his word so close to you is going to help you love God properly and follow him. And those aren't just the important things by doing this and giving your all. If you have God's word on your heart, when you get in times of hardship, times of temptation, and times of comfort, and even times of joy and celebration, God's word will be there on your heart to guide you, excuse me, to guide you, and to help you through those times. But if you're not giving your all, what are you going to have there? You can have some semblance of faith, some facade, some show to the people outside that you're living, but inside your heart really isn't given all to God. And when you encounter the problems in life, you're going to encounter some trials because you're not fully devoted to God. This is the problems that the Israelites would struggle with, as we'll see when we study Matthew 15, is that while they claimed and they were seen to be faithful, what God looks at, as we know, is the heart of a person, and the hearts of them were far from God. But continuing on, in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If I think if you stop right at verse 6, one question you might ask is, how often? How often are you supposed to do that? And for the Israelites, they didn't really have to answer this question. In the laws in Leviticus and elsewhere, God details exactly how long and how often they are to do certain things, when they are to do this stuff, and it's very minute in how God is. But that's how he set up the Israelite laws. And while they ended up struggling with worrying more about getting things accomplished than putting their heart into it, I think this is a question so many of us ask today. How often should I read my Bible? How often should I study with other people? How often should I have devotionals with my children or my grandchildren? The questions can go on and on about how often should I do this and do I, should I do that? But when we look at what God says, he gives such a wonderful admonition when you rise up, when you walk, and when you go, and when you lay down. It's whenever you can, you are to do it. And while that seems hard, I think some of the happiest couples that I've ever met, and I know what they do in the mornings and the nights, in some form or fashion they meditate on God and his word in the morning and the night before they go to bed. I can't think of a better way to start your day, and I can't think of a better way to end it. If you've had a horrible day, and you lay down and open God's word and read some, and meditate on it, and focus on what 
is happening or if you've had a wonderful day and you go to bed and you read God's word and you're remembering of how many blessings you have. I can't imagine such a better thing as a husband, as a father, or more importantly as a Christian in life to do that. So how often, well, as much as we can, I think of the many different situations that we're left in in our lives at this time. We need to do the best we can with what we have available to us, and that's what God is to ask. God is not asking for pure for perfection because we're not perfect, but just doing our best. Maybe it's going into your homes if you have family to do so and worshiping, you know, singing just a few songs, meditating on God's word a little bit, and praying. And for those of us that live alone, we can hop on the phone and call each other and do those things. We can be together even when we're apart. It's a little harder, but we can still do it. But the second thing is this question of where. And for the Israelites, this is pertaining to, you know, where were they to do the rest of these things in this passage? Well, as we've discussed, God already said, first of all, you know, it must be on your hearts. That's where it needs to be. But for the Israelites, these are commands you know, that don't apply to us today. They had to bind signs on their arms and have things on their forehead. And then there's these little scrolls, that, uh, little tube scrolls that they'd put on their gates that they would slide a section of scripture in. And do it on their walls, on their gates, as the, the scripture here in Deuteronomy says. And while we're not supposed to do this specifically, what can we learn from this? Well, God was telling, you know, not only do you put people's hearts, but when you're supposed to put your heart into it, but you're going to need some physical reminders of God's word. You know, I love going into houses and seeing some of the things, you know, Bible verses on the walls or the little things, uh, little tiles you can change, a reminder. Many times, Joshua is mentioned in houses, you know, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, those kind of things. But in today's world, there are so many different ways you can have a reminder, you can have physical reminders of what God has done for you. Maybe it's on an electronic device that you have, and you can even sign up for different things to where you get emailed random verses that you can just read, a verse of the day. There's so many possibilities today. What we must take from this is that we need to make sure we have physical reminders. Do what works for you that helps you remember and practice God's words. And that is what we get to next, is the last part today, which is remembering. And, you know, for some people, this is easier than others, right? Some people, it's one of their gifts that they can just remember things well and quickly, and other people, not so much. And it happens. So you might say, you know, this seems a little bit easier than these other two, you know, listening and practicing just remembering. It seems a little different. But, you know, I have done my fair share of remembering stuff all through school. And I can tell you sometimes I didn't do that well on a test because I didn't remember that well. But when I think about school and you think about studying, right, you got to, first of all, you got to listen in class if you want to do well. Maybe you don't want to do well. But if you want to listen in class, you have to. If you want to do well, you have to listen first, and then you have to practice what you've been taught, right, for the test. And the test is when you're supposed to remember it. These all three are 
together, as we will see and talk about. Remembering takes listening first and then practice to what we need to recall. So continuing on in verse 10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so the question I want to first ask here is, who did this? Right now, obviously, if you read it, you know, God clearly says, you know, me, I did this for you. But God is worried here. Right? Who, who did this all for the Israelites? Who promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who brought them out of Egypt and who gave them all these many material blessings? Well, God's worried that they're going to forget. You think, so you see that list of what they were given? They were given cities that were full, houses that had stuff in it, water and vineyards and olive trees. Everything that was done for them was all handed to them. And God's like, you need to be careful not to forget me. Why? Because they're going to be overwhelmed with all of these you know, material pleasures. And they're going to forget on who actually gave it to them. Now, maybe you're thinking of some younger people today who get a lot of things given to them. I mean, I, for one, am grateful for what my parents and others have done in my lives to help set me up for success, help me to be able to succeed in my life in my pursuit of being a preacher. But sometimes I feel like even the older generations have problems with this. When we start to own things, when we buy things, and we think, and we get proud, we're like, I'm, I'm proud to own this nice thing. Why? Because I worked hard for it. And sometimes we can forget where our blessings come from, which is God. But also we forget about our brothers and sisters around the world. We have such a blessing to live here in this country and to assemble currently with you know, no form of persecution. And it's not just thinking about our brothers and sisters in other countries that you know, have smaller meeting places and less people so there's less people you know, to interact with and to be encouraged. But more so think about the places where the governments don't even allow them to meet regularly. And we're so blessed as people in this nation to be able to come together and to have such things to be able to come on Sunday. And we cannot forget that. We cannot forget who has blessed us in our lives, which is God. Most importantly, we must remember God and his redemptive plan for us. That he sent Jesus to cleanse us of our sins. But the next part is not forgetting. And now maybe some of you know what a forget-me-not is. It is a type of flower. My mother does not know why I knew what this was. I don't either. But... I was like, you know, what, what's the meaning behind this? And I looked it up, and one website said that the meaning of a forget-me-not flower is to represent true love, and giving someone this flower means you truly love and respect this person. It is a testament to your relationships and promises the other person that you will never forget them in your thoughts. Forget-me-nots are also a symbol of fidelity and being truthful to someone you love. Now, doesn't a lot of that sound like how we're supposed to live and love God? We're supposed to love him, and we're supposed to keep him in our thoughts, right? When we listen to his words, we're supposed to dwell on them and meditate on them. 
And we're supposed to truly love him and not serve other gods. And when I think about, you know, fidelity, you may be like, well, what's important about fidelity? Well, if you look at the biblical narrative, that is a very big theme of Israel because Israel chose to go live and serve other gods instead of loving God. And God uses this analogy of a woman and a man cheating and having broken their relationship. And that they, that has how God feels. As his Israelite people have left him. And thinking about how this idea of God is saying here, don't forget me. With all these blessings, do not forget me and what I've done. But I think also that the idea of this flower can be shown the other way from God's perspective. And that God actually gave us a forget-me-not. Now, it's not some flower, but it was his son. His son was sent to die on the cross, given for a whole world because he loved them. And he was given as a remembrance to show that God truly loves us and that we are always in his thoughts. And that furthermore, he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he is faithful to us. Jesus is that remembrance for us today. Forget not the love that God had for you as he chose to save you from your sins. We're continuing on in verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in, the midst, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. We're going to start here with talking about the Lord your God. And I hope some of you have been waiting for this because you know, it's been real all throughout verses here that the Lord your God. Many times when we think about stuff, you know, you're like, this is not my problem, it's your problem. I'm going to wash my hands of that. Maybe we speak in those terms or, you know, from little kids even up to when we get older, if you have something, you know, that is mine, right? We like to claim ownership. But sometimes we don't claim ownership in relation to the most important thing in our lives, which is God. And I feel the emphasis of this possessive pronoun, this pronoun of ownership, is lost sometimes when we think about it. This is your God. Your God has done this for you. And you might say, well, Ben, you know, you're talking about idols here. We really don't have little golden people that people worship anymore. And I'll be like, yes, you're, you're right. But people worship many other things today. Whether it's what is very popular, which is serving of self and money, but also things like fame and sports. I mean, if you look at even sports, they even meet on Sundays. And yet, people dedicate themselves to these things, and they lose focus of what they are to remember, which is the Lord is your God. And when you interact with people, are you going to be proud of who is your God? Are you going to be proud of what you are a part of? Or are you going to deny him? And hide because you're ashamed of your God, because of the beliefs that he commands of us. But next is that the Lord is our God. It's not just an individual thing, and I think this is such a blessing that we need to remember, that God has made his religion for him and for his people an avenue and a system where we are edified with each other. It's not that I have to go worship God alone by myself. 
I get to come every Sunday and worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. If I have a problem or if I want to talk to people, I get to talk and confide in brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not to go this life alone as we studied. And God made that on purpose because we need others and we need the encouragement of each other. We get to speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, edifying one another. And as we just partake of it, we get to partake every week of a meal of great remembrance of what God has done for us. That makes life easier for us that we get to have and strive in this Christian life with other people. But lastly, that the Lord is my God. And I know I've already mentioned a little bit about us personally, but that the Lord is mine. And let me tell you about the God whose will I have got to participate in in my life and who has done great things in my life amidst tragedy, amidst pain and hardships that I've gone through, but God has made it better. I wouldn't nearly be the man that I am or do and have forgiven sins because of what God has done for me. He is mine. And through my life, I can glorify him, not just by standing up here and talking, but through my story and what I've gone through, that people can relate to what I've done and what I've been through, and I can reach out to them and hopefully bring them to God. And it's not just our personal stories, because we need to use each of our personal stories to go out and reach the world, to show people, tell people, why do we act this way? Let me tell you about my God, my King. And we can use that to hopefully evangelize, but there's other part of the Lord being my God. And it's that your story needs to be a reminder of where you came from, of what God has done for you, and where you're wanting to go. When we look at what we studied here, hopefully it makes sense that if you don't listen, it doesn't matter what you practice because you won't have listened to anything and there's nothing to remember. And if you don't practice, how are you going to be able to remember what you listened? And if you don't remember, what's the point of even having done anything in the first place? It just doesn't make any sense. Each one of these is equally important and there are three cores parts of being a Christian, that we need to listen to God's word, practice what it says, and remember it. But the question is, what is the condition of your heart today? Where would it be considered, and are you giving your all, or is it only partially? And at this time, we have an opportunity for those that maybe haven't listened, haven't got to submit to God in Christ and baptism, or for those that have and have at times stopped remembering and stopped practicing what they should have in God's word. It could be any time that we have available to us. The, time, the baptism is always available for anyone who wants it, and prayers and encouragement and confessing your sins is something you don't have to do on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or any time the invitation is open, but now we offer that as a convenient time. So whatever need you have, please come now as we stand and sing. Have you a heart that's weary?